Today on Ag News Daily. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Monday, September 9th. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mike Pearson. And Mike, we are on the road today, aren't we? We are. This is more of a Monier, Delaney. Yeah. Because we are on a road trip. We are heading up to, well, north of Brookings, South Dakota. We're headed to Peaver in mm-hmm. Sisseton, South Dakota. We are going to be bringing you some conversations later on this week with uh, corn growers up in this area, soybean growers up in South Dakota, northern Iowa, and what I'm very excited about a goose feeding operation and processing plant. So stay tuned. This week is going to be an interesting week, and uh, we'll be hang, hanging out, getting dinner with uh, with Ted Seifert, Matt Zainer. So listeners, if you are in Sioux Falls, Clear Lake, or Dubuque, or that general vicinity, find us on Twitter at Ag News Daily or on Facebook at Ag News Daily, and let us know. Uh, we'd love to see you tonight. We'd love to see you sometime this week and, and uh, grab some dinner. Yeah, it's going to be a fun time. Yes. So Delaney... We're yeah. not having fun yet. We got to do work. I know we, we got to do. do work all the time. Podcast Wait, uh, still happens. Podcast when we're still on the happens. Road. That's right. The news is still uh, turning and whatever. Uh, <laughs> what news you got? Okay, um, let's start it off here with uh, some some negotiations between Argentina. So that's kind of a new and exciting market. I mean, not one that we've uh, really done a lot of trade with so far. Are they good negotiations? It sounds like it. Oh, it sounds like last week several Argentinian ambassadors met with the USDA to discuss the process of lifting the U.S. beef ban and just discussions about how the two countries can uh, look for ways to bring down other trade barriers and expand market access between those two countries. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, Argentina is quite a cattle producer themselves. I wonder what their incentive is for buying U.S. cattle. I don't know. That's a good question, Mike. Well, I'll tell you what it is. What? North American cattle are the best tasting in the world. Is that corn-finished diet. That's what does it. That's probably what they want. That's probably true. Um, So... While we're talking trade, Delaney, you've got good news there on the trade side, potentially, with Argentina. Mm -hmm. I've got more news from China. It's not shocking. The market didn't even seem to notice this today. But President Trump has said he is willing to slap tariffs on every single good we import from China, an additional $267 billion worth of products. And China responded today. This is the quote from the foreign ministry spokesman, Gang Shuang, and uh, this is the the Chinese fella. He said, if the U.S. side obstinately clings to its course and takes any new tariff measures against China, then the Chinese side will inevitably take countermeasures to resolutely protect our legitimate rights. And then the reporters say he did not elaborate. That was the end of his statement. Okay. Uh, So, you know, I guess they're kind of running out of stuff to put tariffs on. I imagine we'll see additional non-trade barriers. We'll see all sorts of probably additional currency controls coming out of China and perhaps... Who knows? I mean, realistically, I I, I don't know what there is left to put put tariffs on if we're putting on the value, or if we do $505 billion worth, that's the value of goods. Yeah, we'll be tariffing everything that comes out of China. Literally everything. Literally. Literally everything. And if they retaliate, they'll be putting a tariff on literally everything that goes into China. Yeah, we're not using literally in a figurative way here. No, this This is the literal. Actually, every single dollar of every good that changes, you know, hands between the two will have a tariff on it, which just means... It's so stupid. Both countries' consumers are going to be worse off, is what that means. Basically, we're going to raise the cost for everybody. It's not like fractions where they cancel each other out. No, it is. That's exactly what it's like. These two tariffs, they're they're canceling each other out at a higher rate. Well, yeah, but at at the end of the day, right, it makes everything more expensive. Right. Yeah. So, So, yeah. Anyhow, not... 
it's a different way of approaching yeah, trade than I would have. I know. That's for sure. That's for sure. Well, we've got, we just have a lot of trade news today, to be quite honest. Um, we've got some a little bit of NAFTA news today. It seems like the U.S. and Canada are continuing to butt heads about including Canada in the rewrite of North America's free trade agreement because of, no surprise here, milk. Mm-hmm. Dairy, yeah. dairy, dairy. Yeah. So, uh, Christia Freeland, Canada's Minister of Foreign Affairs, said she uh, refused to confirm Kudlow's statement, which was, quote, I think the United States would rather have a good trade deal with Canada, but it has to be a good deal. And the word that continues to block the deal is M-I-L-K. Hmm. So she said she refused to comment on that. Um, she stressed that he is not at the negotiating table. Kudlow stressed that she's not coming to the negotiating table, so I don't know. But Purdue and all the other people say Class 7 has to go away, and it doesn't sound like Canada wants to make that happen. Interesting. I mean, that's really the only concession the U.S. is looking the for. Own, We're not. Yeah. The, the, well, and the, the wheat one. Um, no, but I mean on the milk. Oh, side. absolutely. You know, they, hey, keep your supply management in place. Let's just get rid of this mm-hmm. class seven. Let's go back to the way the market and was. And it sounded and like there for a while that was going to be a possibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had we had reports come out that they had considered it. They were looking at at getting rid of that. Yeah. I don't know what the holdup is now. I, I think at the end of the day, the problem in Canada is the exact same problem in the U.S. We have seen herds yeah. invest a lot in genetics and invest a lot in production. Mm-hmm. And our dairy industries are just incredibly productive right now. And Canada's facing the same overabundance of certain types of mm-hmm. milk products, Class 7 being the one up there, and U.S. you know fluid milk, everything down here. Um, it's going to take eventually a culling of the herd or yeah. much greater global demand that can you know even out our piles, piles and then we puddles. have to compete with things like almond milk or yeah, you know but that's a whole milk. different product we're not we're not even but competing for the same I think buyer we, i think I, I would argue that we are okay why do you think that because people that aren't drinking real milk are drinking almond milk and that if if they didn't have the choice to drink all those other types of milk, I think that they would be buying real milk. I, you know, it's such a small percentage. So this is my take. I hear that. I, you might be right on the margins. But the people that don't want to drink milk, I think it's predominantly vegan vegetarians, people who mm-hmm. have a moral objection to dairy. They're never going to drink milk. I think it's rich, misinformed people who drink it because they think it's healthier. Those people, I think you're right. They'd come over yeah. to dairy's side. And, and that's it. And... I don't know. Let those two industries be their thing. Their various juices are good on their own merits. But, uh, yeah, let's quit calling it milk. That's, mm-hmm. that's where I come down. But I know. Anyhow. Hey, speaking of rich people not having to or getting to choose all sorts of wacky crap to eat, <laughs> um, we've got good news here from the other end of the income spectrum, which is that the USDA reported that 88.2% of American households were food secure throughout 2017. Basically, that means that 11.8% of families had difficulty at some time during the year providing enough food for all of their members because of a lack of resources. It's an interesting way to define that concept. For so long, we talked about hunger, and basically what the USDA is saying is, look, hunger is not an issue anymore. Mm -hmm. Now it's just occasionally some people aren't able to you know, buy the food they need. Right. So generally, I think it's a good thing. The good news is that we're basically down half a percent in food insecurity year over year. So that's, I think the economy is getting stronger. It's trickling down at least in some small way to the the very bottom of that income pool. That's good news. 
let's see. Well, as we look, again, I'm going back to trade. Um, President Trump said that, said on Friday, I believe, when he was abroad, Air Force One, that we are starting to have serious talks with Japan about a trade deal. He said, in fact, Japan has called us. They called us. The only reason I didn't want to do it quite yet is because we're still in China. So it sounds like maybe going to see some some uh, positive move happen there. What he wants, President Trump wants to finish up the China deal? No, he was in China, I believe, oh, when physically, they called. Literally yes, in literally China. in China. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Well, so, that's good to know. Well, he said they did agree to slash tariffs on U.S. pork, beef, wheat, and other commodities during the Obama administration. Obama administration, and he said, you know, I think we're getting even further ahead of that than where they'd been with the Obama administration. He thinks he's getting more done now than President Obama did during his administration with Japan. Oh, with Japan. I thought you were back on China. Right, with Japan. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. It would be good. The Japanese and South Koreans have been buying the lion's share of our beef exports. They really have. And certainly we'll talk with Ted Seifert here right after we do the markets, and he'll talk about that. Demand has been very strong. Mm -hmm. And uh, But Delaney, what do you say? Should we jump into the markets? I have just one other quick piece do of it. news Lay here. Lay it on us. As we look at, again, international and trade-related realms, Chinese farmers are going to be planting less cotton this year, but the country says they will not rely on the U.S. to fill that supply gap that they're going to have, according to a new analysis by the USDA. The additional 25% tariff on cotton is going to make it a challenge, according to an FAS reporter. And um, apparently, they estimate that the tariff adds $600 per ton. Uh, when sourcing cotton from the United States. So they're forecasting China to import about 1.5 million tons of cotton in the 2018-19 year, which is only up about 1.1 million tons from the 17-18 year, but it's not coming from us. It's going to be coming from people like Australia, India, hmm. Uzbekistan, Brazil. I wonder how many of those cotton sales will come from Pakistan, Uzbekistan, right. maybe originated exactly. in the U.S. Exactly, that's a possibility. Absolutely it is. So, mm -hmm. yeah, those are the things we need to watch as these trade disputes get hot and heavy. Is that There's a lot of behind-the-scenes, I don't want to say number fudging, but origination fudging yeah. that no, can that's happen. absolutely fair. Shenanigans can happen. Mm -hmm. Declare shenanigans, Delaney. Well, folks, that does it for the news. We've got a conversation, as I mentioned, in our abbreviated hashtag Market Monday today with Ted Seifert. We'll be back after the WASDE report on Wednesday with a deeper look. And we also have a conversation today with Caleb Schlater from Agco talking about the Fent Ideal Combine that was unveiled there at the Farm Progress Show. But Delaney, what do you think? Markets right now? Markets first, Mike. All right, folks. And we've got good news for our grain producers out there. Everything was in the green today. September corn up one and a quarter at 355 and a half. December up a quarter penny at 67 and a quarter. In soybean September up one and a half cents at 8.33 and a half. The November up one and a quarter to finish at 8.45 and a quarter. In wheat September contract big move today up 17 and three quarter cents finished at 5.04 even. The December also big up 17 cents closed at 5.28 and a quarter. Jumping over to the livestock side we've got mixed trade pretty well all down the board not ter terrible for a Monday. In live cattle the October contract up 20 cents at 110 15, the December unchanged on the day to close at 
In feeder cattle, September down 45 cents at 152.52.50. The October down 27.50 to close at 152.67 and a half. And mixed trade in lean hogs with the October contract up 30 cents on the day at 55.95. The December down at dollar 10, closed at 55.70. And of course, we've got to take a look at the dairy market in Class Three milk. We've got the September contract up four cents at 16.25, and the October up eight to close at 16. 58. Well, folks, let's learn a little bit more about today's market numbers and what to expect throughout this week with our good friend Ted Seifred from the Zaner Group. All right, well, for today's kind of Market Monday episode, we're uh, on our road trip here with Ted Seifred. And, Ted, we want to just get your quick thoughts here on the WASI report that we have coming up later this week. Fill us in. Let's start with corn. What are you expecting to see on this? On uh, what, what are Zaner's estimates? Well, uh, so we're not far off. We're, we're not changing the USDA's estimate from August for corn yield and production. I think that all stays about the same. Uh, with what we saw out on crop tour, I think the USDA is right on the mark. Um, and we have a very advanced crop, which is, I think, really why they were so close uh, right off the bat. So uh, not looking for much on the change uh, on production. I do think that next year's uh, demand can come up a little bit. I think you could get a slightly positive corn report, but it might not matter depending on what the bean report says. And, and that's what I want to get to. I mean, we've heard some thoughts. We've seen very strong bean exports continue here. Are we going to see that bean carryout lowered a little bit for 2018, 2019? I don't think. I don't think so. No. I think you got a higher yield number, so that by itself is going to add to the carryover. Uh, average trade guess, is, I think, is 830 million bushels. Our previous record is 574. So that that is a little bit bad. In my mind, the question is, is this going to be a bearish bean report or is it going to be a really, really bearish bean report? Yeah. Because on the demand side of things, I think that at some point we're going to be lowering our export demand. I think Chinese demand is going to be lower than what the USDA is currently stating it as. USDA has got uh, Chinese demand increasing 5.1 million metric tons year over year. Uh, I think they're going to be able to tighten their belt better than that. I think that their demand will end up being lower year over year, and those exports are going to come straight off our balance sheet. So, Ted, uh, heading into this report, bearish or really bearish, how aggressive should growers be ahead of this thing? I mean, given that those are our two options, should we be making cash sales, getting them locked in here today through Thursday? No, that's great. That's a great question. And, yeah, we've had a lot of guys doing that. Um, What I'll also say is this. You know, hopefully the USDA doesn't rip the Band-Aid off on exports again. Maybe they wait uh, further on through the season and and see what happens, see how that develops. I'm leaning that is the way that they're going to go. It's what I would expect them to do. Uh, so hopefully we'll have time, we'll have a seasonal recovery into the winter months, into the, the new calendar year, which will provide a better opportunity for us to make sales. However, just in case something crazy does happen on this report, there are those October short uh, October uh, soybean puts that are going off the November contract. You can look at the 820s going for around 3.5 cents or the 830s going for 5 and 3 quarters or so. And that offers two weeks' worth of protect- protection in case we do get a shocker from the USDA here. If we do get a shocker, Ted, where would you expect to see one? Uh, again, you know, if the USDA does get aggressive in cutting Chinese demand, and that will come directly off of our, our exports, when they choose to do that, then I think we're going to be looking at a billion-plus bushel carryover for soybeans, and that 820 low isn't going to hold in that case. Now, Ted, we are on our road trip. We're up here in South Dakota. We've seen a lot of fantastic cattle on the drive-up. We're probably going to see more before we get done. I know there's nothing too crazy on the livestock reports this week, but give us your thoughts. How are things shaping up? We've seen fat cattle stay fairly strong. President Trump has made some motions that maybe 
We'll start uh, maybe a tariff little battle with Japan. What would that do? What What are your thoughts? Yeah, that would not be ideal. I mean, but we're, we seem to be doing this across the board, so it wouldn't be terribly surprising either. Uh, as far as cattle are concerned, you know, exports have held up fairly well. Consumer confidence is at the highest it's been in like 13 years, so our domestic demand is really very strong. Uh, I think, you know, I, I think, I think overall the cattle have still an uptrend in place. We've been looking for this wall of cattle or this this big wall of supply to pull us down and to, to make cash soften. It just really hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. And you know, and as we get into uh, fourth quarter and then transition into first quarter, uh, looks like our production is going to drop. That demand stays about the same. Uh, so I, I still see more upside potential there for cattle. Well, Ted, we're going to get your thoughts when that report comes out on Wednesday. All right. Well, thanks, Ted. We're going to be hearing from him again on Wednesday when the WASD drops. But let's kick it over now to hear about Agco's, near, Agco's new combine. Well, folks, we are still here at the Farm Progress Show. Mike Pearson standing here with Caleb Schlater. And Caleb is the tactical marketing manager yep. of combines for Agco. And Caleb, a lot of folks use the Farm Progress Show to unveil new equipment. And Agco is no exception. We're standing in front of this giant black ideal combine. Tell us, give me the 10,000 foot view. What are we looking at here? Well, we're looking at probably the most productive combine in the industry now. We, we've launched this combine. It took seven years of development. And then we launched it about a month back in Regina. Uh, now we're launching it here for our U.S. customers. It's the first public viewing, and we're extremely excited to be launching the Fent Ideal Combine. So now give us some of the stats. We're, I'm standing here, I'm looking at it. I'm seeing we got the sides open. She's black. She's matte black. It's definitely, it stands out. I mean, in a oh, field, yeah. Oh, it, yeah. it's going to be unique looking. Talk to me about the powertrain. What's driving this giant beast? It's an MAN engine. So for the Class 8 and 9s, they're going to be an MAN engine. For the Class 7, it's going to be our Agco power engine. But all the power, the key thing there with engines, it's always, it's always about what else is around it, is how we drive it efficiently. So we have a direct power takeoff of a drive center gearbox that drives everything in that combine efficiently and effectively, making sure that our customers are getting the most out of their machine. Now, you mentioned this took seven years to develop. This is a, a from-scratch project. You start with a blank sheet of paper. What went into developing it? Why, why start from scratch when you guys have Gleaner? And I know we've got a lot of listeners who are Gleaner fans. You've got Mass. You've got some great combines. Why, why start from scratch? Well, it, it's, not a, it's not a factor of looking at just a combine and building upon it, right? We wanted to come out with a machine that was really going to address the needs, not of the, what the customers have today, but what they have five to ten years down the road. Now, our Gleaner platform and our Massey platform, they're still very important to us. I'm a Gleaner owner. <laughs> Gleaner's very important to us. It's very important to North America. So there's a lot of things that we're, we're excited about that. But when we wanted to get to the Class 9, those, that larger platform that's built for today's professional producer, we wanted to make sure that we had a combine that addressed all of their needs going forward. So when you start seeing with some of the things we've done with automation, with the dual helix rotor, with the ideal balance grain pans, those things are built around exactly what our customers said in those interviews. That's why it took us seven years. We went all around the globe talking to professional producers about what makes a combine for them more productive going forward. Now, you mentioned the dual rotor. We're standing here. We're looking at that. Talk to us a little bit about that, then we'll get into some of the automation, because that's where things really get uh, 21st century. Oh, yeah. But dual rotor, what are we doing here? So the dual rotor is about 16 foot long. That's the longest rotors in the industry. And the reason for that is very important. What we want to do is we want to get good threshing and separating, but we also want to be gentle. So by having that added length, 
we're able to make sure that we can be gentle in separation all the way back and still capture that grain and limit loss levels. So we get good grain quality, we get low loss levels, and it also allows us to have less of that torque behind those rotors, so less power consumption. So you're ticking all those boxes when it comes to performance, when it comes to these rotors. Now, of course, what's going into the rotors is just as key as what's coming out. You've got to start with a decent product, and of course that comes from right up front, making sure everything is set correctly, making sure you're in the, the right settings for the right condition. How is this combine doing that a little differently than some of the others? So with automation, automation is, is becoming more prevalent in every discussion we have about combines. The thing with automation is, is we have to make sure that we have a combine that can be self-adjusting, managing those changing conditions throughout the field because we, we start and see fields change. And me as an operator, I'd like to tell you, I can, I can manage that, but I know I can't. And I, I, I love operating combines, but I know I can't, so I, I would rather have the machine sense and feel that and make the adjustment for me. So what we're doing differently with Ideal, because automation is becoming this larger, uh, larger conversation within agriculture, what we're doing with Ideal is we have what we call visualization. So it's not only going in and allowing the combine to make decisions for you, it's giving you the information to know what's happening inside your machine real time. What we used to do is we used to do kill stalls. So we'd kill the machine, we'd get down, we'd look at the shoe load, we'd look at where the separation is coming out of the rotors, and we would make decisions on how to set the machine by that act. Now what we're doing is we're having an iPad that is connected to our combine that's telling us where our separation is because of our combination of specialized sensors built throughout the machine, where our separation is, where our loss is, and how do we manage and mitigate that as producers. So I, when you mentioned sensors, this is more than just a camera showing us the shoe, showing us what's... Be, it's... Okay, t I, don't, I don't know anything about sensors. <laughs> what, what are we talking about? So they're called mass acoustic detection sensors. Oh, right. Yeah, no, yeah, the yeah, mass yeah. acoustic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> or MADS for short. <laughs> sure. So they're, the MAD sensor, what they're doing is they're reading what's grain and what's, what's tra chaff or trash. Oh. So it's getting essentially that ping off of that mass acoustic detection uh, pad is telling it this is grain or this is not grain. So now we can see throughout the entire machine what's happening inside of it. Now, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking, all right, I'm sitting in a combine, it's harvest time, we're there 12, 15, you know, 18 hours a day if that, that uh, rain is coming. What kind of comfort can folks expect sitting in a combine? You know, part of the, the fun is, is keeping an eye on everything, right? Jumping down and, and messing around. Farmers like to tinker. How does this combine keep the operator comfortable and, and engaged in the harvesting process? Well, as far as comfort, you got to look at the Vision Cab. The Vision Cab is, is something that we've introduced in many products over the past couple of years from an AGCO standpoint. But the Vision Cab really has the, the three things, the three criteria that we wanted out of a cab, which is visibility, comfort, and control. Number one, you want to be able to see what's happening. You got to see your head while you're harvesting. It's, we can't get away from that. There's no automation for watching in front of you. Then we wanted to make sure that we also had the control. We, everything is at your fingertips, everything you're doing as far as the header, as far as the engagement of the rotors, everything is right there. Uh, auto guidance engage, everything is right there for you, so easy, easy to reach there. And then the last thing is, is you wanted that comfort overall. So we've got a beautiful grammar seat in there. Uh, you have that cooler that makes sure you have all your food ready to go. You have, that, you have a wide space, so, I mean... 
heck, me and my dad can both fit in the vision cab, and we're both big guys. So yeah, standing here, Caleb, you're what six four? Six six two, six three, somewhere around that. Yeah, way taller than me, but yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> Now, another thing, since we're just talking about the size right now of this combine, this thing is massive. Class 9 is the one we're standing in front of. You also have a Class 8. Yep. Um, we're seeing all three of the ones you have on display at the show are sitting on tracks. You've got camso tracks wrapped around, Agco equipment here. Is that standard? It is not standard. Okay. It is an option. So we still do have duels and singles on these combines. The tracks, we really wanted to show them off because we're extremely proud of those tracks. Why is that? What's jump, what makes them special? The tracks are designed and manufactured in Jackson, Minnesota at an Agco facility. So the same place where we design and manufacture our Challenger track tractors, the place that's famous for tracks and knows the tracks, we had those same expert engineers who have hours and hours and hours and, and just an immense amount of expertise on tracks. They design these systems specifically for the ideal combine. Gotcha. And... Okay, we're standing here. There's a big crowd gathered around. When you are approached by farmers and they're coming up, they're looking at this machine for the first time, what are the big questions they're asking you? What, what are they saying, all right, I, I like all this, but I'm concerned about? Do they have questions or things that they're, yeah, you know, a little hesitant about here that you need to kind of put them at ease? Yeah, I mean, really from a, a, a machine standpoint, a product standpoint, I'm not getting a lot of those. Uh, a lot of the things that we are showing here make sense to them. The big thing that they're asking is about dealers. And since it is a new brand, it is a, a new machine coming into the marketplace, they want to know, where, where can I access this? What's my distribution look like? And we are growing that right now. So that's what's really important about Fent. Well, see, and that's the thing. Yeah, so it is a Fent ideal combine. It's not a Gleaner. It's not a Massey. It's not an Agco branded product. It is Fent. And Fent is, you know, the Mercedes-Benz of tractors. Yep. You, you see them on a lot of dairy operations, a lot of, a lot of feed yards, a lot in Europe. Why choose Fent, a brand that a lot of American growers aren't incredibly familiar with, to come out with this huge monster of a machine? Well, when you start looking at the, the, the technology built inside, the commitment to uptime that we have, the overall simple operation that's, that's known in the tractor business for Fent, we, wanted, we had all those attributes built into the ideal combine. So for us, it made sense. This is a Fent machine. And we wanted to come to the market with that type of a statement. We know it's simple to operate. We have the great technology, and we have good support behind it. So that is why it's fit. So when you look out 3, 5, 10, 15 years as the Ideal Combine continues to grow, and you mentioned the dealer access, are we going to see more kind of pure play Fent dealers? Are we going to see Agco dealers adding Fent products to their line? What can growers expect? What should they be watching out for in their neighborhood to make sure this would be a, a valuable tool for their operation? Well, you're definitely going to see more of our Agco dealers picking up that Fent line. We, we love our and trust our dealers so much, so we want to make sure that our dealers are, are picking up that Fent line going forward with that. And then the, the future is still open. We, we're, we're looking to expand our distribution. We want to maintain that Fent quality, that Fent experience, and so that's where we're heading with this. And it, it's going to be a great journey. Get Caleb, we're standing underneath the, uh, the unload auger here. This thing is massive. How big is this? Give us the stats. So what you're looking at, you're looking at uh, a l very large auger that's going to give you uh, six bushel per second unloading. So six bushels per second, that's the industry leader uh, by about two bushels per second. So you're, now you're going to be able to do what we call total infield efficiency. We want to make sure that overall we are going to be more infield efficient because when we talk about capacity on combines, everybody wants to talk about how many bushels you're pushing through it. It's not always about that. 
It's about being totally infield efficient, and that comes with your grain handling aspect. If you are governed by your grain handling, then that means that you aren't getting the total efficiency out of your combine. So you are paying essentially to sit in a field. We don't want you to be governed by grain handling. That's where you get the six bushel and load, and that's also where you get the 485 bushel grain bin, which is also an industry leader. Nobody else can touch us on that, so you're able to stay in the field longer, you're able to unload on the go less times, and you're able to make sure you can manage your grain handling logistics better. And i, I got to imagine agronomists are going to hear that number, they're going to hear 485 bushel, they're going to look at this massive machine and they're going to say, hey, that's compaction. Yep. How have you guys designed this? Obviously, we've got tracks on here at the show. Is that enough? I mean, 500 bushels sitting up top on top of a machine that's running through the field? Ah, yeah. So that, that's always a concern, right? Compaction is always a concern, especially for no-till operations, uh, especially for guys like me in central Illinois. We're very compaction cautious. But when you look at that track system, when you look at the footprint, it's the largest footprint in the industry. You take that track system, you put it up to everybody else, and nobody else can cover the footprint we can. And every added inch of footprint, make sure you're spreading that PSI out onto the ground, limiting your compaction. Now, Caleb, before we let you go, if, if folks are in the market for a new combine, you know, their, their other one's getting two, three years old, they got a bunch of hours on it, they're ready to upgrade, they can walk into a, a FET dealer right now and buy this machine, right? Everybody's more than welcome. Is that how you guys are doing it? Uh, it is not. Jumping into the market? It is not, no. We are very much doing a phase-in approach. We call it crawl, walk, run. So this year, what we're doing is we're doing demonstrations, limited demonstrations. We want our, our dealers to bring producers out to see the combine in central locations, get the chance to operate it, and and possibly pre-sell it. Next year, we're going to have limited availability. We're going to be focused on demonstrations. Now we want to get onto our customers' farms in their conditions. Because I'll be honest with you, for me to buy a combine, you got to come and put it in my farm. And then finally, in 2020, that's where we'll have full production, a full fate, full rollout of this combine. So if growers are listening, if, if maybe they're running a different color combine, their, their Agco dealer locally isn't that familiar with them, but they're curious, how should they get in touch if they want to come see this thing in action here in the next uh, year or two? Yeah, that, that's a great question. What they're going to do is they're going to come to the Fent Ideal Harvesting uh, website, which we call idealharvesting.com. And in idealharvesting.com, they can apply to be an elite member. Now, what our elite member is, so the Ideal Elite, that is a group of professional producers that have been selected in order to receive demonstrations. So if they, they can apply for it, and then from there we'll reach out to them with a communication of here's where our demonstrations are located, and they can come see that combine this year in the field. Fantastic. Caleb Schlater, final thoughts. What are you excited about going into this next year? You're going to be in a lot of fields. You're going to be crossing a lot of parts of the country. What keeps you going in this business? Well, what keeps me going is what always has kept me going, and that's, that's farmers. That's my customers. Seeing their excitement has really gotten me to a point where, I mean, we've got something here. I, I love my customers to death. I love being at farm shows, talking to them, and their excitement and their their, their future, the future that they are going to have and how this is going to impact their operations from an ideal standpoint, that, that for me is everything. That's why I do this job. Fantastic. Caleb, thanks for taking the time to talk to us, and we'll let you get back to the line of people waiting to chat with you here. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, folks, there you got it. Delaney, I think we are kind of out of Farm Progress Show interviews. I think we are, but we've got a lot of great stuff. We're going to be bringing you a lot of interesting content. I don't want to give away too much, but we've got a lot of producers this week that we're going to be meeting with. They're doing a lot of interesting and innovating, innovative things, so you're going to want to stay tuned. And the next week, I'm heading to Ireland. 
Yeah, yeah, Delaney's going to Ireland. I'm going to I don't think we've teased that yet. Maybe I'll be going to Des Moines at some point next week, living living the big life that way. Mm, great. I don't want to talk about that yet, Mike. Where are you going to tell me your whole Irish voice? Yeah. You're going to come back and talk like this. I'm going to the National Plowing Championship. Oh, the National Plowing That's Championship. Right. I yeah, don't think they'll talk quite like that. Oh, I bet they will. I bet you're going to catch yourself a, a leprechaun. <laughs> You think so? Drink some Guinness. And, uh, no, that's now it's that's getting off Guinness. there. I know, but I, my accent will oh, fall well, apart. That's okay. I, I'm more like the Swedish chef. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, listeners, you've put up with a lot of shenanigans, but stay tuned. We'll have more shenanigans all week. If you're in one of those areas, Sioux Falls, Clear Lake, Dubuque, give us a holler. We're touring. We want to see folks. We want to take you out to dinner. Let us know. If you're willing to make that drive, we're willing to, uh, you know, eat a steak with you. Yeah. Absolutely. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 